1: You have to understand that you as an individual are part of a team. So even if you're on a heated discussion where (laughs) like your inner self is telling you, uh, I want to win this one, you should actually take a step back and and think about what's best for for the team.
0: My name is Espri Devora. all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. This
2: episode is powered by the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program. We are helping enhancing the startup ecosystems in six different countries, four of which are based in the Balkans. And you get to meet really amazing people here. And not just that you share your know-how, you also get to learn a lot from these people here. My name is Nina Nikolic, and I am the Manager of Entrepreneurs in Residence and Ecosystem Facilitator for the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program here in Macedonia.
0: Thank you so much for powering the Women in Tech podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast.
0: Celebrating and empowering women in tech around the world. We are in Sofia Bulgaria. Yes! And I'm meeting the most extraordinary women here. It is so cool. And we have our next guest for you. Hello, Tatiana. Hi. Am I saying it right? I was telling you I yeah. butcher everybody's name. Tatiana. Tatiana, yeah. Because Thanks you have the me. Y in the middle. That's okay. Right. Okay, cool. Um, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: So first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Claim Compass. It's a company that's been around for a bit over three years. It's my main passion. And we're helping passengers get compensated if their flight gets delayed or cancelled.
0: So, so cool for the tra- travelers like me. Now, do you, and um, Tatiana, what's your last name? Mitkova. Mit, okay. Mitkova. So this is Tatiana Mitkova? That's right. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, the spelling, the address is everything. I can't make out, <laughs> make it out. And so um, I want to get into, like, what inspired you to create the company, how you met your co-founders. But um, tell me, what, like, would an experience be like for me if I had a problem traveling? So, did you um, come by by plane coming into Sofia? I've taken a few, not into Sofia, but yes, I've taken some planes.
1: Well, if you travel a lot, you've probably had uh, some kind of issue with your flight or luggage. 100%.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's what happened to us as founders. So we've had lost luggage, delayed flights, misconnections, all kinds of issues. And we never realized that you can actually get money from the airline. And it's not insurance. It's not a voucher. It's just monetary compensation that's yeah. for just pretty for inconvenience cost, and time lost. So um, if you're a passenger who suffered a delay, a cancellation, or the worst of all thing is overbooking because you see, you see how yeah. the plane is leaving but you're not on it because of the lack of seats, so um, you can submit a claim. Uh, it takes just a few minutes and you can get
0: up to $700 in compensation. So how can people find out more as they're listening to our conversation? How can they find out more about your company? Just go
1: to our website, claimcompass.eu. We had a large section of blog articles and information on your rights. It's all very user-friendly. And if you've already had a disruptive flight, just use our calculator. So it's a very short form where you share what happened, what's your flight number, and we tell you, are you entitled to compensation and how much can you get?
0: And uh, go ahead and spell it for us. uh,
1: Claimcompass.eu. C-L-A-I-M-C-O...
0: Dot eu. And do you only serve the EU or do you serve uh, the US as well and so other places in the world?
1: The thing we're doing, it's based on an EU regulation, but it does cover some flights coming from the US. It only has to be operated by a European airline. So if you're flying from New York to London with Lufthansa, it would work. But if it's American Airlines out of San Francisco to whatever. New York. To, yeah, or, then, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, it's not covered.
0: Do you ever plan to expand to other areas around the world, Asia and... That, yeah, yeah, so
1: we're researching. It's a really fun process because there are similar regulations. It's just that um, they're maybe not so uh, consumer-friendly or not so developed. In the U.S., unfortunately, you guys only have the one for overbooking. So yeah you can get monetary compensation if you're bumped off the flight but in any other scenario it's you just sit, you're just stuck at the airport and wait so
0: there's no money for you. Wait, just so we know, for the overbooking you could only get the monetary compensation if, from the airline itself, or is there some secret trick that we could get monetary compensation?
1: It's from the airline, it's okay. basically the airline's fault, so you should get alternative transport, which means a new ticket for the next flight, but
0: also monetary compensation. It's good to know you guys when we're traveling. Okay, so let's get into the good stuff. How, first of all, how How many co-founders do you have?
1: We are three co-founders.
0: And how did you guys meet one another?
1: So the fun part of the story is that my two co-founders they didn't know each other before the company so the company kind of brought them together Um, One of them I met in high school, so it's been a long-lasting friendship. Um, He went off to study um, computer science in Glasgow. We reconnected after he graduated. And the other one we met in Berlin, but he had actually spent most of his life living and studying and working in Canada. So... um, Starting the company, like setting up the website, gaining initial traction, we were actually in three different locations. So it was all like a bunch of Skype calls, Slack messages, a lot of coordination across different time zones. But the company and things getting serious is what brought us back to Bulgaria
0: and back together. And uh, I mean, is it customary for uh, the Bulgarian community to become an entrepreneur, to, to start working in tech, or is that very unique?
1: I think it's getting more and more popular, especially here in Sofia. Unfortunately, I don't have much uh, experience with other cities, but I've heard they have their first co-working spaces and their first startups and communities. But Sofia is really an emerging tech scene. So we have so many um, startups, so many people who have gained experience abroad, maybe working for companies like Google or Uber. They come back, they start their companies or an off-site office. So it's been really exciting.
0: What's been one of the the, I want to ask you this. So I just got to Bulgaria and we connected yesterday and I'm so grateful that you're making time today. Um, what, how do you make decisions? Like how, what, how a lot. Okay. So with the podcast, a lot of times, and this frustrates me, I get oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not interesting enough, or like, oh, I'm not sure, I need to prepare for a week. And I'm like, no, you're just sharing your story. What? How do you make decisions? How do you take risks? How do you move forward and get past the fear or past the mental oppositions?
1: Well, when it comes to a podcast, I don't feel like this is so scary, but maybe people have that when it comes to an important meeting, when they're fundraising and they have to meet an investor. So they should definitely just get their story straight, Prepare a ton um, it could be pitching in front of a mirror a hundred times or writing down your story that you can right. later tell to uh, for an article or a podcast
0: um, in this case I'm so happy that we connected even if it was'm uh, so happy yeah and you guys she's been so patient with me I was like completely lost it's it can be overwhelming traveling in a new company at uh, new company new yeah that too <laughs> new country <laughs> um, new country no one um that you know from the taxi driver or whatever nobody's speaking English and so I'm like okay let me figure it out and then you look at all these buildings and you're like where am I and you're kind of tired and yeah so I really appreciate your patience in it all um so is this your first podcast no. It doesn't no. sound like it. Yeah. So how many... That's very rare, by the way, which is so cool. What are some of the other podcasts that you've done?
1: It's actually just a few. I can think of uh, two right now. So one of them was Nathan Laska in the US. And the other one was just a few weeks... Uh, was released a few weeks ago. It's, again, about women in tech. Uh, oh, cool. It's actually a very good friend of mine. She just started out. So she is planning on telling uh, inspiring stories of female founded companies her format is I think a bit different it ta- so the whole episode is much longer probably an hour um, but it's called Fem Gems Like Fem
0: Gems Femme that's Gems, cool yeah. is it out yeah. yet? Yeah, it's out. So we'll be sure to include it in the show notes. So Carl, make sure to find her links, put them yeah. in the show notes. That's awesome. And is that, is Femchins a US one or is it Bulgarian based? She's based in Germany, but mm-hmm. she'll be telling stories from around the world. So Very cool. And uh, okay, so you met your co-founders in unique ways. And then what inspired you guys to start this company? Did you have the company idea before you met your co-founders or did you guys come up with the idea together?
1: So I had the idea, I was inspired by a a few things happening in Germany. So I was graduating from law school in my last year, and um, my previous dream was to become a lawyer. So just the regular career path of starting in a law firm, studying hard, working hard. And then, just because I was in Berlin, and Berlin is so exciting when it comes to the startup ecosystem, I was constantly hearing stories about my friends working at startups, starting their own companies going to events it was just the buzz was so something you cannot ignore um and my boyfriend he also was about to start his company so he kept telling me about like drafting a business plan gaining initial traction looking for funding so all these topics that i've i didn't know anything about before um started to just come into my life so i thought why not Uh, experiment on my own so at first it um we always say that it was an experiment or a hobby or something that we were just trying out with so it wasn't a company at, at the start but um Again, just doing the first steps and seeing that it works and yeah. seeing that you're delivering some kind of value to real people that you didn't know and that really found out about you, use your service, they're not your relatives and friends. This really gives you the confidence to say, maybe I should invest a bit more time and maybe that's a real company.
0: But where did you guys come up with the idea? Yeah, and the idea.
1: So I got. An, um, I learned about the existence of this regulation from the legal world. So I just found oh. out it's been more than ten years that this regulation has been in force, and nobody knows about it. I didn't know about it. My co-founders didn't know about it, and we were all traveling so much. So it was kind of weird. Um, we started researching it, and where the idea really came together is when you um, combine it with tech. So it's not just the legal part where we would have been like an innovative uh, legal uh, law office. It's a tech company where we actually build software that processes the claims automatically. Uh, we build software that reaches uh, people instantly once their flight is disrupted. Uh, so it's all around how can we improve this horrible process and help more people. And then... How did you initially validate the idea? So we built a website. It was a very, very simple landing page. Um, we spent way too much time like, over obsessing on the content and on the design. And it was, for most of us, the first web project we are building from scratch. And once it was up, we started uh, thinking so, how are we getting people to come to, like, how are we get, getting some traffic with zero marketing budget? Right. Uh, so, our initial efforts were actually concentrated on spamming a lot on Facebook. Uh, You might say it's like guerrilla marketing, but in our case it was like pure spam in some cases. We just found groups of people traveling, groups of um, people living abroad, like in a different country, and we started sharing posts about our service. So we started asking them, have you ever had a delayed or canceled flight? Did you know you can claim compensation? So um, one of our daily tasks of the founders and the first people on the team was to just like go around on social media and post as much as possible because that, that was was the only free option that uh, we can make use of and that's how we started getting our first clients and our biggest surprise was that we really didn't know them like my guess would have been some of my friends like would remember a flight like that and would help us out being the first customer but it turns out it's people we don't know so people we didn't know they trusted us they saw the landing page and that really gave us the initial confidence to go on
0: and are you how many people are on your team now Right uh, Right now, we're uh, around 20 people. It's amazing. And are you funded or not funded? We are funded.
1: We were very lucky to go through the program of 500 Startups in California, which was a great experience for months in the Valley where they teach you about growth and fundraising. And you kind of like spent 24 hours a day with other founders. So um, we got... 200K in that pre-seed round and raised an additional 275K uh, after the program.
0: Did you raise the additional from U.S. investors or from investors in Bulgaria or in Europe?
1: U.S. investors, which is an interesting story too. We were wondering should we raise from Bulgaria or Europe but the process is so much longer around here that while we were exploring options we basically already got funded by a U.S. investor. They just... Work in a different fashion. They are so That's fast true. to make decisions.
0: <laughs> they just write you a check and you're done. Well, no, not all of them in San Francisco, not because you did 500 startups in San Francisco, right?
1: In Mountain View, but yeah, yeah. They are. So
0: it's not a, uh, it, it's not the same in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, um. And then, were you profitable before you raised money, or are you, and are you profitable now, or how do you guys make money?
1: So we are not profitable yet, but uh, the revenue has been growing steadily, the number of users too. Uh, Just as a typical startup, we just reinvest everything in growth, so that's why we're not profitable. If we wanted to, uh, we could be profitable in a few months, uh, but then again, that's not the the path we've chosen. The path is, just like many other startups, um, grow as much as possible, reach as many people as possible. So the investment went mostly into not just developing the product and hiring more team members, but mostly growth, which comes with paid acquisition. Um,
0: and the 20 employees, like, are they mainly focused on marketing? Are they a mix of engineers and marketing experts? How do you set up your team? Like, when you get a lot of questions that investors ask, and that I think um, it would be very empowering for you to share, they say, okay, if you give you this money, how will you spend it? Um, How did you guys decide to spend it? Uh, So first
1: on your question about the team, it's a very diverse team. Uh, One of the things I love about it is that we have um, developers and marketers and content experts, but then we also have customer support experts, people processing the claim, a uh, a small legal team. So everybody has a different job around here. And we have people from a bunch of different countries um, so it's a very diverse environment to work in and everybody shares their knowledge. Um, and then second question was around, so what do you use the money for and how do you pitch to investors what this large amount of, of money is going to be put into? Um, in our case, the team was not in the probably top two or three uh, like bullet points we were pitching. For m- us, it was mostly um, all guys that's the user economics, that's how much we've been growing, that's what we've learned, and these are the major milestones that we're gonna hit if we get this funding. So the story was more around um, growth in terms of like how do you reach your users and are you gonna launch different distribution channels. In our case, because we were mo- mostly reaching users via Facebook, AdWords, word of mouth, content, a bit of PR, um, it was really interesting to explore partnerships. So online travel agencies or travel management companies, imagine if they, pro, if they can proactively reach the passengers. So instead of you getting on the Facebook ad once your flight was delayed, you can get an email from wherever you bought your ticket from, like Expedia. And right. they can say, hey, sorry, you were on a disrupted flight, but we're actually partnering with a company like Clean Compass And uh, just click here to get your money. So it's even a more seamless
0: process. It's so cool. And um, one last question about fundraising, because I know everybody's – I'm actually – I'm of the boat. I'm a fan. Do you know Jason Fried of uh, Basecamp in the U.S.? Yes. It's one of my favorite companies, probably my favorite company in the world. And so I've had a tech company before where I raised money, and now my company now, I am into kind of like the Jason Fried model of just – Bootstrapping. Yeah, bootstrapping and like having the profits pay for it. But like um, one thing that everybody would hate me if I don't ask is what's one tip or advice you've learned in the fundraising process?
1: Yeah, very. Um, like it, that's a very good point when it comes to the decision to fundraise or not. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially in the valley, are under pressure to fundraise, and they it's never true. stop to think: Is this the right path for me? So mm-hmm. it's a, kind of an unpopular opinion to just uh, maybe enjoy the slow
0: growth. It is and an unpopular opinion. Maybe we should talk about that too. But first, yeah, yeah. go ahead and
1: even yeah. on five hundred startups, it's actually I. I was lucky to have um, mentors who. Did consider this an option because other mentors were more pushy into the direction of you're not successful if you don't raise a big round. It's true, and that's all. that you It's true that people think of. that, yeah. Uh, but my mentors, uh, actually, one of them had uh, a bootstrapped company that made an exit and really changed his life. So he was preaching uh, the alternative, which yeah. is really take a look at your numbers. Uh, Try to do some projections. It's very hard when, you, when you're in your first year of the company. Um, but really consider not raising. Um, like a lot of startups, they end up not raising just because they couldn't. Right. And then they feel like a failure, but they can still work on the company. And maybe there is still a way for them to grow in a different way. And usually it's actually a more sustainable way because otherwise it's ca- kind of a culture of burning money. So totally. you feel like you have to spend it once you've raised a million or a few million dollars So totally. then you're like, my marketing budget should be that high and I'm hiring a bunch of engineers and then it can get out of
0: control. But maybe it's just, it's also possibly not just that they couldn't, but they couldn't yet and they stopped before they did. I've met um, tons of entrepreneurs who pitched and I'm not exaggerating in excess of 100 investors before somebody said yes. So sometimes my mom says, you know, every no leads to a yes. It's just a matter of how many no's. Yeah. could be 500 no. Eventually, hopefully, you'd get to that yes. And so what's, what's um, and I'd love to have this discussion with you. It's actually a discussion I've never had on any episode before. But before we have the discussion about, you know, why raise, why not raise, or the lifestyles of the two, um, what tips would you give on raising? Like, what did you learn in the process?
1: So, most of my experience regarding fundraising, and ha- um, th- they've taught me about fundraising during 500 startups. So, I came with zero experience, especially when it comes to the U.S. Like, as you come, as you come from Europe, um, you may have an idea about fundraising that's very different than uh, the reality in the Valley. So, at 500 startups they basically um, try to show you the worst picture which is exactly going to 300 pitches and not getting anything so they try to prepare you um, in terms of have a really strong pipeline Uh, first of all it's kind of like buyer persona or like marketing persona. You have to know who's the ideal investor for you. So are they investing in your area of business? Are they investing in your um, stage? So it may be early stage, it may be on the later stage. Right? Are they investing in certain um, business models or certain industries or certain types of uh, working? So um, just draft all of this and then start comparing so this investor A kind of fits this persona but investor B is not something I should be ta- it's not somebody I should be talking to so once you have this pipeline you just start pitching so that's a lot of work it usually is a full time job for one of the founders um, and at least we've been thought that a hundred to one uh, ratio is kind of the reality so you do pitch hundred times to get one check at yeah. the end Um but it highly depends, again, on, on the network. And sometimes a person believes in you and then they tell their investor friends and then they invest much faster so you don't get to uh, pitch that many times. That's actually what happened on our second round. Um, Wild 500, our mentors, uh, they decided to start their own VC. It's a micro VC called Hustle Fund. So um, they started it on the side and then they... Um once we graduated and their VC was up and running, they decided to do a follow-up, so to invest in us again, but like through another That's institution. So, cool. so this didn't require 100 pitches uh, in front of different investors. It was a more... Um, of a natural uh, transition, because they 've seen us grow they 've seen us they 've seen our kPIs like every single week for four months, so they really had the info to make a decision faster
0: it 's so cool it 's something I talk about in all my speeches that we all have a different journey. we all have a different path and there 's no right or wrong, and you can 't predict what the outcome can be. You could just keep on executing and do the best that you can let 's talk it 's like i said it 's something i 've never talked about before it 's a conscious choice I made in the lifestyle of choosing to raise well there's two things I ask myself all the time I ask myself my company We Are LA Tech and I build technology and experiences for the Los Angeles tech community and, um, and I ask myself all the time one, how big do I want my company to be in uh, looking at what kind of lifestyle do I want? Like, do I want the responsibility of Google? Or do I want, you know, something that's a team of, you know, 5 to 20? Or, you know, that kind of thing. And then I asked myself, like, do I want investors? Because do I want essentially, it's almost like having a boss, you know? Do I want that? Or do I want just to be self-profiting and a, and a slower growth? And for me, because I've already had the other kind, I wanted... I mean, I'm, like, seriously, like, obsessed with how Jason Freed runs his business. So I was like, <laughs> I just want to do it the Jason Fried way. <laughs> um, what, for you, what made you make the choices that you made? Because I know investment money is really great. One, if you don't have the money to, like, build out a product to scale. Um, and also, if you're getting more orders than you can handle and you need that money in order to accept the orders that you have coming in what were the decisions that you chose to uh raise
1: yeah so first of all the two questions you mentioned that's definitely something that everybody should ask themselves in the beginning of the journey and something you should be discussing with your co-founders that's one of the main things where you definitely need to be aligned like even if you have other differences um when working this is the thing where you should be on the same page um in our case we haven't raised so much so We don't have a board, like investors on our board. We don't have, um, so they're not participating in voting. So it's more of a, like having raised the pre-seed round, it kind of gives you the benefits of an investment without so much of the cons. So uh, at least for now, we're quite happy with it. Our investors are awesome. So starting from 500 startups and continuing with Hustle Fund and a bunch of others, they've just been so great. They're kind of a support system that we. it doesn't feel like uh, reporting to them or asking for their approval or opinion. It's more about... Um, just sharing what we've been up to and then asking for advice so it's a very friendly relationship where we just chat from time to time we're always welcome to share what's the current challenge or something they could be helpful with like an intro or hooking us up with a mentor Um, But it's not um, this idea of just like having a board reporting to them, sending over financial documents and being overwhelmed by all of that because it doesn't feel like you're your own boss anymore. But of course, this changes with bigger rounds. And um, just recently, I was at a conference. Um, where I attended a session about companies going public, which is so far away from what I'm doing right now and from my life and my experience, right. but it sounded like so much work. Yeah, it so stressful. Totally. And on the panel, there were like a bunch of CEOs who take who took their company public and a bunch of. Uh, Like consultants or people helping them, they were discussing how can you prepare, it takes a few years, and you have to do X, Y, Z, and it just sounded like that's not something I want to do. Yeah. So you're so right, Um, every founder should really ask themselves, um, how big should my team be, Uh, what's the place where I I would feel most comfortable. Right.
0: Yeah. When I was a new entrepreneur, I think like most of us, I was like, I want the most epic law firm. I want the biggest investment money. I want to IPO. I want to be on the cover of all the big magazines. I don't know. I think this is like the startup dream. And then now that I've been a founder for a long time and I've had several companies, I ask myself, what lifestyle makes me feel full like what, and then what's the company that matches that lifestyle and what and for me one thing that's really important is that I want and I've heard this from a lot of my friends that have had huge acquisitions like in the billions of dollars they're like I felt when my company for them I felt when my company got so big like the culture wasn't there anymore and when it was acquired or whatever it didn't feel right anymore I kind of want a company where we always feel like we're a little family long yeah. term yeah so that's what I, that's what i 'm going after and so um, what are your dreams with your company? Where do you see it and if you what are your goals, and how can we support you as a global community
1: well it's um, it's been such a great journey so far as mentioned three years already, but it still feels like we are um, we are just starting out. It's, yeah, <laughs> there's so much to be done. There's so much space for growth in our um, concrete market, for example. Just in Europe, there are eight billion euro that worth uh, of compensation that remain unclaimed each year. And when we started the company, we uh, saw that two to three percent of this is being claimed, which was shocking to us. Right. And now, after three years of very very hard work. Uh, and some competition, so companies doing the same thing, it turns out only 5 to 6% is being claimed. So it feels like we, we have just started out and there's just so much we can do, so many like millions of passengers that we can reach. So we're working hard on figuring out distribution channels, improving our service, user experience, operations. And it's it's been so exciting so far. So we're already planning the next year and looking forward to the milestones and the goals
0: that we're going to set together with the team very cool and um what's one huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it I think
1: it's like being asked this question, it's always really hard to choose one because you um, mostly think of a bunch of them or maybe the most recent ones. Uh, but a big one, and I've heard that from many fellow founders, it's uh, people management or mm. even like yeah. hiring, oh yes, or even having <laughs> to let somebody go. That's always nerve wracking. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, if I have to just think of one, it will be really hard, but um, multiple scenarios pop into my head, um, like choosing the right person when you have to select from a bunch of candidates or even figuring out how to interview them and how to see are they the right fit, then... Um, onboarding them and making sure they fit into the team so facilitating all these team activities and uh, really paying attention to the culture that's one of your main job as a founder and then sometimes when it doesn't work out and <laughs> you yeah. have to let them go that's also such a big challenge because it's a hard conversation to have uh, you have to communicate it in a go away with the, with the whole team
0: and but you have to do you have this obstacle Again and again and again, and you have to overcome it again and again and again. <laughs>
1: yeah, and especially as the team grows, that only multiplies. So you have to really build a support system around yourself. So it starts with having clear values that everybody's aligned with, that in the um, most perfect way. So they have been drafted by the team. That's the perfect scenario. And then every, they manifest in a lot of stuff, like when you decide if a candidate's gonna be hired or fired or when you judge somebody's performance uh, according to the values and stuff like that. And what are some of the values here? So we have a few values that we drafted last year, and uh, they are all about working in a lean way, being um, friendly and like working as a as a team where everybody helps each other and everybody supports each other and gives each other honest feedback. Uh, Just because our company does what it does, which is automating a legal process, we are big when it comes to just working in a smart way, figuring out what can be improved through technology and then doing it. Um, So we're constantly asking ourselves, can this be done better and better? So that's part of our values. Um, and, of course, the no-ego culture where you have to understand that um, you as an individual are part of a team. So even if you're on a heated discussion where, <laughs> like, your inner self is telling you, uh, I want to win this one, yeah. you, you should actually take a step back and and think about what's best for, for the team.
0: I, uh, I learned the same thing about core values. I think it's so important about putting values together and I learned it for the same reason because in my um, second company I didn't have them and so it's very gray of like why people should be let go or not for example one person wasn't meeting deadlines but they were very talented and so I had a really hard time with that and affected my entire company culture without me knowing what was happening in my company now one of the core values is we meet that we respect one another's time and so that way if someone's not being respectful of someone else's time it's like well you're not the right fit because look it's stated right here yeah. <laughs> it makes your life a lot easier as a leader to just have it like the guidelines right there it's nothing personal it's right there
1: and I think yeah. like having a discussion of drafting the values especially as a the team grows and then reevaluating them is also so healthy because yeah. people give input and then they are part of uh the whole process of thrifting them. Totally. Where can people find you online? Um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Can you spell your name for everybody? Yeah. Again, Tatiana Mitkova. So that's my name on all the channels. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, T-A-T-Y-A-N-A-M-I-T-K-O-V-A.
0: And um, one last question is, what's your favorite app, software, hardware tool, favorite tech something?
1: On the favorite app, I don't have that many apps on my phone. Um, I am a heavy user of the Apple Podcasts app.
0: (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) Uh,
1: It's a simple one, but it's my favorite. Otherwise, I'm a big fan of Duolingo recently. I know hundreds of millions of people are using it, but they actually have a pretty cool podcast too, where you get to learn, I think for now it's just Spanish but they tell you um, real life stories and interviews that are just interesting from
0: a content perspective right. in, uh, in English and Spanish. Oh, I have yeah. to listen to that. Yeah, I'm intermediate Spanish, so that would probably help me. And, um, and what's one last you know, thing that you wanna share with everybody listening, something that may be the best piece of advice you've ever gotten?
1: Maybe it's around building your support network and people who believe in you. This has been very um, vital to what I've been doing these past few years. There's so much great advice out there, but um, sometimes it's just so overwhelming and you really need your close friends or advisors, and especially if you're building your own company or if you're on a very ambitious career path and sometimes it could be lonely or it may feel hard so make sure you have this like three to five people who you can always call and you can always like or write them an email and ask for anything it could be input on a piece of content or, or just telling them about a very hard decision you're about to make so that's what's going to keep you strong throughout the whole journey
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. I will talk to you guys, see you guys, hear you guys on the next episode. Be sure to say hello at Women in Tech Show on all social, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Bye. This
1: is Tatiana Mitkova, co-founder and CEO of Claim Compass. We help you get compensated if your flight is delayed or canceled. Based in Sofia, Bulgaria, and you're listening to Women in Tech.
0: It would not be possible to celebrate all these women in tech who have been extraordinary here in the Balkan region without the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program. And I'd like to welcome Nina to talk a little bit about what Swiss EP is. Thank you so much for powering
2: the Women in Tech podcast. We are helping enhancing the startup ecosystems in six different countries, four of which are based in the Balkans. We are working in emerging markets and supporting young entrepreneurs, but also the supporting organizations like Incubator Accelerator. We started a program called Entrepreneurs in Residence, which means that experts can come and work with our startup founders here and startup teams and supporting organizations We cover accommodation and travel expenses and you get to meet really amazing people here and not just that you share your know-how, you also get to learn a lot from these people here. My name is Nina Nikolic and I am the Manager of Entrepreneurs in Residence and Ecosystem Facilitator for the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program here in Macedonia.
0: To find out more about the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program, go to entrepreneur-in-residence.net. That's entrepreneur-in-residence.